I'm going to be marching through the book of Jonah today. Timing worked out great. I can preach Jonah in a Hawaiian shirt on the beach here. Uh, so I'm going to be preaching Jonah. If you want to follow along, I'll be reading some points and other points. I'll just be telling the story of Jonah. We start in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amidai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go to them in Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So begins the story of Jonah, the story we're going to tell today. God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, this great city. Nineveh is a city, seems to be named after a goddess who is often symbolized with a, with a fish. It's a city of fish and of fishing. It's in northern Iraq today, but at the time, it was really the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, so the Assyrians are ones that are enemies of Israel. It's their capital. So Jonah arises, and it looks like he's going to go do what God tells him to do, but he doesn't go to Nineveh. Instead, he starts heading for Tarshish. Tarshish was a good town, a trading town. There's lots of money there, lots of wealth, and they're not an enemy of Israel. So when everybody asks Jonah, where did you go when he gets back, or where are you going, he doesn't have to say, I went to prophesy to our enemies. He gets to say, I went to prophesy to this great place, this wealthy place. Probably his message would have been more welcome than it would have been put up in nicer homes. Probably Tarshish was the more appealing of the two cities. Everybody wants to go to Tarshish, but God often seems to call us to Nineveh. So he rose and he fleed. He went in the other way. And the text is very specific in the language here. God tells him to rise and go, and in the Bible, up is normally good and down or is normally bad. But if you follow along in the text, what does Jonah do? He goes down. He goes down to Joppa, finds a ship, goes down into the ship, and away from the presence of the Lord. God wants him to rise and go. He rises, but then he goes down the other way. So he gets into this boat. And the Lord, Lord hurls a great wind, the text says. And the sea is a mighty tempest. And so there are these, these mariners, these sailors that sail these seas all the time. And they are freaking out by this crazy boating, right? And you've got to understand, whenever sailors get upset, it's really bad. Okay, whenever the sailors who have been on the boat, they know the seas... They judged the seas, and they didn't think it was going to be bad, and now they're stuck out there. It's bad. So the first thing they try to do is they try to lighten the ship. If you lighten the ship, it'll be up in the waves a little bit, so even if you're in big waves, you're going to kind of ride up and down them. So first, they hurl the cargo overboard. That's a bad thing, right? They're going to have to pay for that cargo. They took responsibility for that cargo, but it's so bad... They don't think they have any other choice but to hurl the cargo over the side. But where's Jonah? Jonah in the text is down in the boat. The text says down. He's down in the boat. He's sleeping. 
sleeping through all of this. So, so the fishermen go down, the, the sailors go down, they say, arise! They say the same thing God says. Arise! Get up! And then they ask him some questions. What is going on? They say, call to your God, because they've been praying to their gods. They're not worshipers of the one true God. They are worshiping. So they're all praying to their gods. They say, get up! We're going to drown. Pray to your God. Finally, they can't figure this out. They figure it must be some kind of supernatural storm because nothing is happening. And so they cast lots to try to decide who is the problem on the boat. And it falls to Jonah. And they say, Jonah, who are you? What God do you worship? Where are you from? What's going on? They ask him all kinds of questions. Basically, what is your story? And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then this amazing thing happens. The fishermen believe. The text says they believe in this one true God. Here's Jonah going the wrong way, testifying, and then these people end up finding God on the way. So they ask, what do we do? And Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. That's Jonah's idea. Interesting that Jonah wouldn't just jump out. You ever think about that? Why wouldn't Jonah just jump out? He can't bring himself to jump out, but he says, hurl me into the sea. They won't do it. But of course, if he really is a man of God, and he's a man of the God who's causing this big storm, do you really want to be responsible for throwing this man of God out of the boat? And so they try everything. They keep rowing. They keep going. And all the time, we're left wondering why Jonah is going on with this to begin with. The text never actually says why Jonah's here. Not till much later. Finally, the men pray to the Lord. The Lord Yahweh, the one true God. These, these, these sailors that were praying to other gods before are now praying to God. And they're saying, forgive us. But we're throwing this dude overboard. And they finally listened to Jonah. They picked him up. They threw him into the sea. And the sea calms. And the text says they feared the Lord and they made sacrifices and they made vows. Right there you see these sailors come to know the Lord because of the testimony of this prophet running the other way. And the chapter ends, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. So here's Jonah. He's gone down to Joppa, down to the boat, down inside the boat. Now he's gone down in the water and down into the belly of this fish. And so so Jonah prays from the fish. And I'm in Jonah chapter 2. I'm just going to read this. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. 
I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from out of the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah prays this great prayer of deliverance. A prayer used often in the Jewish Day of Atonement. The prayer used in the Day of Atonement for the Jews. He said, I called out and you answered me. You heard my voice. Yes, you cast me into the deep. And the view of that day was that, that the world was kind of like this disc with Jerusalem and the mountain at the center of it. And there were the seas above, the sky kind of like a dome above. And there were the seas below. And that was Sheol, that was the underworld, that was where you went to die. And so as he's doing this poetry, you can see expressed the view of, of what happened when you died. You went either up to the skies above or you went to Sheol, the skies below where the bars close and you don't get to leave. He said, I went down, but you answered me. I will look again on your holy temple. He's representing death and separation from God, but he remembers the Lord there. Salvation belongs to the Lord, but everybody listen. We recently prayed this prayer. He is still in the belly. Still in the belly. It's one thing to pray a prayer of, of redemption, a prayer of deliverance, a prayer of God saving you when you've been saved, right? This is a prayer in the belly. Sometimes we get in the belly. We get into rough things in life. And those are some of the hardest moments to praise God for the redemption that you can't see coming. That you're not sure where it's going to come from. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah gets vomited out onto the land, kind of shakes it off. We hope he takes a shower, right? And then he's like, well, i got to go now, don't I? And so off to Nineveh he goes. He walks in. God tells him again, arise, go to Nineveh. He does this time. And he says this message to the Ninevites. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Overthrown is a great word. The Hebrew literally means turned over. Okay, Overthrown means turned over. Okay, Turn over the other way. And an amazing thing happens. These crazy Ninevites believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them, the text says. The word gets to the king about the, this message. And he arose, the mighty king, the great king among the city. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. Everybody listen. The pagan king of Nineveh arose and did what God was calling them to do. Jonah didn't, but he did. He gave a decree. No people or animals will taste food or water. Let them call out mightily to the Lord. And his reasoning is this. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger 
so that we may not perish. And the king was right. The chapter 3 ends with this verse. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said would happen to them. And he did not do it. God relented. He spared Nineveh. And actually, in a strange way, the prophecy of Jonah came true. Instead of the city being overturned, it really turned over. It changed. It turned from its other ways, and therefore God counted that. And that would be a great ending to the story, wouldn't it? Jonah goes the wrong way. God turns him around, brings him back with a whale or a fish. And then he prophesies the town, and the town has this great turnaround, right? This great turnover. But the text doesn't end there. The text returns back to Jonah, and we finally get insight into the question we've been asking this whole time. Why doesn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? What is it about Nineveh he doesn't want to go to? Let me just read from that chapter. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In this passage, did you notice? Always great, exceeding, mighty. It's always great describers in this. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? The Lord's question is a good one. I might say it this way. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's not just that you don't like the Ninevites. It's that you knew, you knew God was going to give them grace. You had this feeling that God was so great, so merciful, that he was going to show those people mercy, and you didn't want them to have mercy. That's why Jonah didn't go. How selfish that you think that they would deserve, they didn't deserve mercy. How selfish and how arrogant. So Jonah goes out of the city, and it says it makes it, he makes a booth or a canopy for himself, gives himself a little shade to sit up on a hill overlooking the city and see what's going to happen to this city. He wants to see it overturned, but the city has turned over spiritually. So God appoints this plant to come up and give Jonah shade. It's, it's really hot, so the, the, the booth he created is not really doing the job. So God causes this plant to come up and create shade so that Jonah is very comfortable. Then, in the middle of the night, God appoints a worm to attack the plant. And the plant withers. And the next day, God turns up the heat. He appoints a scorching east wind. The sun beats down on Jonah, and Jonah is about to faint. Right? It was really comfortable yesterday. Now it's really hot today. Starting in verse 5. And he asked that he might die. That's a little bit later than verse 5. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. 
But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Jonah said, it's better for me to die. Jonah is totally caught on his own discomfort, his own anger, his own feelings. He's being like a child, right? We've seen this, because we've been around two-year-olds. This is how they are. I want what I want right now. That's a two-year-old, that's also Jonah. I want to die. I want to say to Jonah right there, you know, that can be arranged. You remember this whole fish thing, right? This almost was arranged. The fact that you are living is a blessing at this point. But God has set him up. Jonah pities the plant, which he didn't do anything for. And here are a bunch of people and animals that should receive pity, that God should pity, right? God says, shouldn't I pity them? But you know the underlying question of that? Jonah, shouldn't you pity them? Why doesn't God pity them if God does? If, if, why doesn't Jonah pity them if God does? You read this book, everybody in this book obeys God. Everybody listens to God. The great wind, the mighty seas, the sailors who feared God exceedingly, the great fish God appointed, the great city of Nineveh, even the greatest and the least of them. The king of Nineveh even arose and obeyed God when Jonah arose and ran the other way. The king decreed that the people would call out mightily to God. The plant Jonah was exceedingly glad about. The appointed worm, the appointed sun, the appointed scorching wind. Everybody answers and listens to God except one character in this book. Jonah, the prophet of God. And yet, look how God pursues Jonah. Look how God goes after Jonah and gives grace the whole time. God's love chases Jonah through the story. God pursues him. As Jonah goes down and down and down throughout the book, God goes down and down and down after him, constantly bringing him back. God uses the reluctant, upside-down, fugitive prophet anyway. And it keeps coming after him, offering grace and extending the grace to all these people around Jonah. And then the book just ends. That's it. I read for you the ending. We don't know what Jonah does. We don't know about his turnover. We don't know if he ever goes down to the city. We don't know what he does to follow God in the future. We never find out what happens to Jonah. We're left with this cliffhanger. Jonah there angry. God telling him he ought to pity these people. But then again, the point of the text isn't what, God, what Jonah did. The point of this text is what will you do? What will you do when God calls you to Nineveh and you want to go to Tarshish? What will you do when God, when God sends you to help someone you don't think deserves to be helped? What will you do when your bad attitudes are causing others pain? 
What will you do when you turn away from God and end up in the belly of a fish? What will you do when you are called to proclaim good news to bad people or bad news to good people? What will you do when you see others turn over a new leaf and find out that you really did not want them to? What will you do when you figure out that you can't turn over a new leaf or don't want to? What will you do when it is clear that you are acting childish and mad at God instead of trusting Him to be God? What will you do when you are forced to see how selfish you are and how much you don't care about the others around you? What will you do when you realize that Jesus entered a tomb for three days and for three nights for you just as Jonah entered the belly of that fish? That Jesus went through that so that you did not have to. What will you do when you realize that after all the garbage you've done in your life and all the terrible things that may have been done to you, all the times you disobeyed God and ran away, all those times God was pursuing you, not out of anger, but He was chasing you with His love and with His grace. What will you do? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace that pursues us. Your love that never gives up on us even when we run the other way. And I pray that you would let the story of Jonah haunt us a little bit. Seek into, uh, seep into our souls that we may be different. Lord, if you call us to Nineveh, if you call us to things we don't want to do, We may be reluctant, but help us to go anyway. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.